the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. In uh, Psalms 63, I'm going to read from Psalms 63. This is a psalm of David, it says. Regarding the time that David was in the wilderness of Judah. You ever been in a wilderness place? You know, life is filled with ebbs and flows and good days and bad days. And, and uh, we can feel like we're on an emotional roller coaster sometimes. We can feel like I'm close to God and it's, it's going to stay like this forever. And then next week we're like, God, who? <laughs> really? But we want to change that. We want to be stable. We want to be the same yesterday, today, and forever like Jesus is. Like his love is towards us. That's the kind of love we want to have for him. And, and we've got to struggle for that. We've got to strive for that. It doesn't just happen automatically. How many knows that it just doesn't turn on automatically? Does your relationship with your husband or wife just happen automatically? What hap It can for a little while. If you put it on autopilot, what happens? <laughs> But you got to work for it. You got to invest in the things that mean something to you. I'm preaching. I ain't even got to the first scripture yet. My goodness. <laughs> Psalm 61, verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Mm. I earnestly search for you, my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary, weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I have gazed upon your power and your glory and your unfailing love. It, it's better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. <laughs> you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your strong right hand. It holds me securely. How does that passage make you feel? Is it stirring? Is it legitimately stirring you or you're just saying, there goes that pastor again trying to stir me, but I won't be stirred. <laughs> that just sounds like some odd ramblings from a dusty old book written thousands of years ago. It's just poetry. Or does it excite something deepest, the deepest longings of your heart? Mm. Dr. Robert E. Coleman, he's an old man now, but when he was a young pastor, he had a circuit of three churches, he, and he likes to tell the story that he would visit these three churches. He was just a young pastor, you know, didn't know what he was doing really, but he, he would say for all intensive purposes, 
One of those churches was just dead. I mean, no life of God. When you walked into it, you did not feel the presence of God. They had been through a couple of church splits. Some bad things had happened. And some of us can relate. We've all probably gone through that thing. If, those things, if you've been in, around people for any given time. <laughs> and he said he, he, they were in bad need of revival. And he would preach the love of God and try to stir them. And he would talk to them personally and say, you know, we need to do this in the church and we need to do that. But they didn't want to talk about growing the church. They didn't want to talk about doing the Great Commission. All they want to talk about was their past hurts and how bad it had been in the past. And he didn't know what to do. Being a young pastor, he's like, God, what do I do? And so he called for a week of prayer. He said, every night the church is going to be open and we're going to begin to pray. First night, a couple of women showed up. Very few men in the church were stepping up anymore. It's just mostly a few women and children in the church. Probably wasn't four, 25 or 30 people in the church all together, you know. So they begin to pray. The next Sunday, a few more people show up. He said, that's, that's moving in the right direction. Then he felt something, in the, it stirred something in his spirit. And he said, I remember back in the old days, especially in these rural lands, that if you would ring the church bell, then people all over the community would know something's going on. And it would kind of gather the people, whether you were announcing a funeral or a wedding or something, that was kind of the, you would ring the bell. And so he told the congregation, he said, tonight, I just feel like God wants me to ring the bell. I'm going to ring the bell for you. That we may find God. That we... We may seek the Lord while he might be found. He said, I was broken hearted for these people. I didn't know what else to do. So come late that evening, I started ringing the bell. Ding, ding, ding. He said, I felt like a fool. He said, I knew this bell, the toll of this bell could be heard all over the county for miles and miles. But I, he said, I just ring, 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 and ringing the bell. He said, I did it until my arms were about to fall off. And I was about to quit when neighborhood youth started showing up to see what in the world is going on down at the church. And so the youth was asking, what are you doing? He said, I'm ringing the bell. They said, let us help. So the youth started ringing the bell. Ding, ding, ding. He said they took turns ringing that bell. And for almost three hours, they were ringing the bell before the sheriff showed up. <laughs> the sheriff came in there. He said, he said, do you know three members of your congregation have filed suit against you for keeping them away, disturbing the peace of his own congregation? He said, the people can't get any sleep with this ringing going on. He said, I told the sheriff, maybe these people need to awaken. They're lost. Well, the sheriff said, well, if you, I tell you what, I won't press charges if you just stop ringing the bell. So he stopped ringing the bell. He said the church was full the next night, probably just people wondering, why is this crazy pastor ringing the bell? But because the church was full, he began to preach the love of Jesus again. He said revival broke out. 
He said before the week was over, many people was coming to the Lord Jesus to be saved. He said by the next Sunday, 25 people were baptized. Today's message is entitled, It's Time to Ring the Bell. Look at your neighbor say, It's Time to Ring the Bell. To ring the bell of his faithfulness. To ring the bell of God's love. To get outside our comfort zone and let it be heard. Let it be seen in us. How do you know it's time to ring the bell in your life? Wrote down a few things. Maybe if you're here today, just so you're doing, church, you're doing the clocking in church thing. Maybe you're just here because you feel like you're doing God a favor. That he'll be happy and make you feel a little bit better about yourself so you can go to, to work tomorrow and you can tell everybody, I went to church yesterday. I mean, I did that, you know, before I was saved. I thought I was doing God a favor. I knew there was a God, but I didn't really know him. But I, I figured he wanted me to go to church. It made me feel good. I knew there was something there. I didn't know what it was. Or maybe you've been making major decisions in your life. Where are you going to live? Jobs you're going to take. Who you're going to marry. Who you're going to date. What you're going to do. All the way down to what clothes you're going to wear this morning. You've been making decisions in your life and you hadn't stopped to think to consult Jesus about it in a long, long time. You're just making them on your own. It's time to ring the bell. How many knows we need Jesus to help us make our right decisions? Maybe you've been just treating him like a magic lamp. You rub him just right, he'll give you what you want. Your prayer time just consists of you throwing out your list of wants and desires. God, can you do this? Can you Get this person out of my life. Can you move this into my situation? Can you get me a raise, Lord? And so you, you give him your laundry list. It's time to ring the bell. If that's what your prayer life consists of, it's like God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for this plate. You know, Now I lay me down to sleep. That, I mean, if your prayer life is canned prayers that you got taught in Sunday school still, and it hadn't moved beyond that. It's still just a monologue. You giving your prayer request, but, but there's no dialogue. There's no communication. There's no listening. There's no time of sitting in his presence. There's no desire to be engulfed in his arms and just sit and soak. And let him saturate you with your love. It's time to ring the bell. If your testimony used to be like fire shut up in your bones, but the, the biggest words in that sentence are used to be, you couldn't wait to tell everybody about what Jesus. You were born again, man. You were so excited. You knew you were forgiven, and you wanted everybody to be forgiven. You wanted everybody to feel like this, to feel loved. Oh, I just, I, I'm so excited. I got to tell somebody. You was touching people in line at Walmart and said, can I tell you something? But now it's been months, maybe years. Since you 
You even thought about telling anybody about Jesus. Maybe it's, maybe you bought into that lie that, well, religion is a private matter. Man, I think that's straight out of the devil's playbook. Everything in my Bible says that it's our responsibility. How beautiful are the feet of those who tell the good news. Without a preacher, how shall they hear? And it's not just talking about the preacher behind the pulpit. You are the preacher, my friend. You are the ambassador for Christ. You have the words of eternal life. You, you are the ones bringing visitors. You are the ones reaching more people than me. I'm just one person. What a sad state of the church in America where they depend on one man to bring in the lost. Not in here. That's not us. Say, ring the bell. We're ringing the bell this morning. You know, I will always be ringing the bell up here. I know some of you say, man, he never quits. He's just always pressing. It's almost like uncomfortable sometimes to be in one of his services. But I'm ringing the bell of his love. I'm trying to get you to step into that joy. What are these things that says, uh, I, my soul thirsts for you. I'm trying to get you to, to, to experience his power, his glory, his unfailing love that's better than life itself. To lift up your hands in prayer, to help him be more satisfying to you than the richest feast. To sing songs of joy, to lie awake meditating on him at night. To rest restore the joy of your salvation. It's there. But life gets so busy and we just need to ring the bell. If we're not going to ring the bell at church, where are we going to ring the bell? First ring it here, and then we ring it in the community, I guess. Do we, would we even recognize Jesus if he walked through those doors and sat on the back row of this church this morning? How familiar are we with him and his ways? How much do we know about him? If I ask him to come off the back row and come up here and say a few words, would you be sitting, who is that guy? That was like the Pharisees. The Pharisees stood up and condemned their God to die. Crucify him. The God that they claimed to have given their lives to, that all this service that they were doing. And I mean, they were zealous. They were enthusiastic about God, more so than anybody. But they didn't recognize him. They knew about him, but they didn't know him. I guess it's hard to recognize him when you're slapping him in the face and spitting on him. Some people may say, well, long-distance relationships are hard, Pastor. I mean, I can't see him. I want to I be closer to Jesus. I just don't know how. You know, is he so far away, and, and I don't get to lay eyes on him, and I don't get to touch him, and I think you're looking at it wrong. He's inside you. He could not be any closer than if he was standing face to face with you. He is within you. If you're born again, is that not true? Okay, so you can't see him. So we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith, right? But I can certainly feel him. I know he's there. 
His Holy Spirit dwells within me. He leads and guides me into all truth. He convicts me when I'm doing wrong. I can certainly feel Him. I can hear His voice. In my inner ear, in my spiritual ear, let he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. That you're not throwing your prayers up and bouncing them off the ceiling, but He's within you. He's with you. Jesus has done everything that He possibly could have done to shorten the distance between you and Him. You in Christ and Christ in you. Everything He could do to fill in the gaps so that there's nothing between you and Him. There's nothing. But the question is, what are we doing to fill in those gaps? Because I can tell you any gaps aren't on His part. If there's any gaps in your relationship with Jesus, it's not on His part. He's in there. He's closed all the gaps on His end. He has done everything He could possibly do to show you how much He loves you. Jesus walked with His disciples for three years, you know. Towards the end of that, He finally looks at Philip and He says, Philip, have I been with you so long, boy? That you still don't know me? And then it was 16 chapters into the book of John. In fact, 31 verses down before he finally looks at all the disciples and said, Do you finally believe? So they walked with him and talked with him. They still didn't get it. It's time to ring the bell. I'm not saying... A relationship with someone you you can't see face-to-face is easy. It's not a struggle. I'm not saying that. But we are struggling, right? He is worth struggling over. Like I said, all relationships require some give and some take and some energy, investment. And I'm telling you, he's the best investment that I've ever found. I even find myself, you know, I thought when I became pastor, you know, and I didn't have a full-time job outside of the ministry that I would be able to get so close to God. But I found myself sometimes just here at the church praying just to get a download from God from what I need to preach that day or something. And I get so ministry-minded, so task-oriented, That I'm not seeking Him for myself. Not seeking Him for our relationship's sake. And so, He began to show me just this week as He was giving me the words for this message. Son, stop coming to me just seeking my hand all the time. Seeking my wisdom. I mean, those are good things, but you know what? I'll give you all that. Seek ye first my face. Seek me. You will never lack for any good thing. You'll not, I mean, you'll, sermons will overflow if you'll seek me and stop seeking and stop freaking out that you're not going to have something to say or that you're going to fail the people or whatever. I'm not going to let you down. 
And I'm telling you, that's the way to live. We're so task-oriented. We're like, get the job done, God, give me what I need. And God's like, man, if you'd spend some time with me, you know, I could move mountains. I could drain the sea. I could fling a new universe into your existence. I can do whatever you need me to do. Martha, Martha. Mm-mm-mm. When was the, what is your prayer life like? You do have a prayer life, don't you? Let's, let's assume we all have a prayer life. I hope you have a prayer life. I hope it's rich and vibrant, and I hope that you seek him and you sit and you bask in his presence and that you learn to worship and that you learn to get on your knees and and you surrender. And I pray that when we're having worship songs and stuff, we're not worried about what the person next to us is thinking and it's not about, is the pastor going to get us out of here on time today and all these things that we're able to unload See, he wants you. You need a place to cast your cares. Who by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? Aren't you tired of all this baggage? Aren't you ready to let go? Don't you need some place to drop it? Isn't the anxiety too much for you? The pressures of this life? He's saying, come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am your rest. You understand? The whole Old Testament was telling us, I don't know why I'm going here, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath rest. But in the New Testament, we find that Jesus is our seven-day rest. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. Every day, He is our rest. This world ain't going to give you any rest. This world ain't going to give you any peace. Jesus said, I leave and I give you my peace. It ain't like the peace of the world. Some of you are so burdened, so heavy laden right now that you barely made it here today. Cares of this life and legitimate stuff. You need to ring that bell. He is your source of strength. He is everything that you need. When was the last time you sat at his feet like Mary? Just, I don't care what's going on outside. Cut that TV off. Chunk that phone in a drawer somewhere and go sit at his feet. The kids come. Mama, mama, mama. Got to go. Or is it just Martha, Martha? All the time, Martha, Martha. You're troubled about so many things. Maybe good things. Maybe you're doing things for me. Maybe you're preparing the meal or everything. But you know what? Mary has chosen this good part, and it shall not be taken from her. If you're doing life apart from a rich and a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you haven't even entered in 
to the first phase of the joy of your salvation. You haven't even begun to know the riches of His grace. It's in the relationship. And we'll find that when we get to heaven, I can guarantee you. It's not about, about the task that you're doing. I've been preaching that for some time. Even here at the church, we got these things that's got to be done, and everybody's so task-oriented. But I'm trying to get people to open your eyes. It's about the relationships in your life. Life is about relationships, not getting the job done. When you're on your deathbed, it will not be, did I get the job done? It'll be, did I spend enough time with my children? Did I love my wife well? I wish I had another moment with so-and-so. It's always about the relationships when it boils down to what's important. Everything should flow from the great commandment that God gave. He's smart enough to know what comes first. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Relationships. He said in John 15, 9, Jesus said, I have loved you. He said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. You think that's a lot? Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in my love. Oh, see, there it is. He's saying you got to do something to earn my love. you got to remain. You got to do the commandments to get my love. He's talking about the commandment to love. Remain in His love. To do His commandments is to stay in His love. The commandment is love. That's the New Testament commandment. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Does that sound good to anybody? And this is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. Relationships. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's how he loved us. Jesus died for us. Everything he did on this earth and all he suffered was for us. It was about, his, it was about us. His death was about us. How much more should our life be for Him and about Him? Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily. What does heartily mean? From the heart. Do it to the best of your ability. Do it like you mean it. Whatever you do, do it heartily. From the depths of who you are, as if unto the Lord. Man, you're talking about bringing a new perspective into the way you do your job, the way you parent, the way you clean house. Do everything heartily as if unto the Lord. I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and they were saying, man, I got this situation at work, and somebody's been offensive to me, but I chose not to be offended, and I love them despite what they did to me. And, and they said it changed the situation. And I was like, yes. Because you see your job as you're doing it to the Lord, not unto them. 
You see, relationships, you're doing it. You're loving them for the Lord's sake. You love them because you love the Lord more than you love them because you love them. Whether they, if you're just loving them, whether they treat you good or not, then you're just like all the sinners. But if you do everything heartily, from the heart, everything that you do, you begin to see, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. They're being mean to me, but I'm not worried about that because I live for an audience of one. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for his sake. For great is your reward. You begin to see life so much differently. Everything you do is if unto the Lord you're living at the foot of the cross. You're living under the shadow of his wings. You, you're living like you're his masterpiece. Because you know what? You are. You are his masterpiece. You're beginning to get it. You're the object of his affection. You're why he died on the cross. It wasn't just for some idea. Yeah, that'll sound good. That'll look good on paper. He said he endured the cross, despising the shame because he had his eyes on the prize. He, it was the joy set before him. And that was you, my friend. It was personal on that cross. It was for you. You were the object of his affection. He wanted to close that gap. He didn't want any distance. He wanted his love to so envelop you that your love envelops this world. Not one would end up lost because the love of God has changed the world. Mary Magdalene, wow, said she had seven demons. Some of you are thinking, that's probably light. You ought to see me. No. <laughs> really, I mean, which one of us growing up that didn't know Jesus didn't have a bunch of demons clinging to us, a bunch of stupid thinking, making mistakes, and being pulled down the wrong path, and we look back and we say, how did we get deceived like that? We didn't know the truth, and it hadn't set us free yet. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. But Jesus cast them out. And you know what? From then on, Mary Magdalene's name is everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere Jesus goes, just about. It says that she was one of the women that, that funded his ministry. She gave of her resources. She was there. When the disciples were all hiding, Mary Magdalene and his mother Mary were at the foot of the cross. When they took down his body and laid it in a tomb, Mary Magdalene was going to find out where so that she could bring spices and anoint his body. Early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene was there before daylight. She clung to Jesus. And after he was resurrected, who was the first one that Jesus revealed his resurrected self to? Mary Magdalene. She wouldn't let go. She clung to him. He had to tell her, hold on, don't hold on to me now. i got to go to the Father, but I'll be back. Maybe it's because the Bible says that he who is forgiven much loves much. I don't know. I know I love a lot. 
What about you? I'm clinging to Jesus. I don't want a page of the Bible going forth being written without my name on it. I don't care if it looks ridiculous to the whole wide world. Because I do everything heartily as if unto the Lord. Y'all helping me today? Apostle John said he laid his head on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. Somebody say, well, that sounds a little weird. No, that's just because our society has twisted things that everything sounds weird to us these days. But no, John laid his head upon his God's breast. I want you to think about that for a moment. A human being allowed to put his ear against his God's breast and hear the heartbeat of God Almighty. He didn't care who thought it was weird. He didn't care if people teased him when he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, when he referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved in Scripture. And if you see Jesus, uh, John's writings in the, in the Bible, and many we've read today already, it's dripping, saturated. The pages are dripping with the idea that God loves us and we, lo we can love Him. Saturated with love, intimacy with God. Then you got disciples like old Peter. Rough, gruff fisherman. You're like, God's never going to be able to reach this boy. He's lost. He's, he's so prideful. He thinks he knows everything. You, you think there's no intimacy between him and God? No way. I mean, how do you get close to a guy like that? But Jesus was so patient with Peter. Oh, yeah, he would get on to Peter sometimes. Peter needed it. He would discipline Peter, but he wouldn't let Peter fall. He redeemed Peter after Peter denied him three times. When Peter was about to sink, walking on the water, Jesus picked him up and said, I'm not letting you go, Peter. I'm with you. I'm staying with you. How many knows that Jesus is staying with you through this? No matter where you are right now, he hasn't left you. If you've got your eyes off of him and you're looking at the wind and the waves, it's okay if you sink for a moment. He's got you. He's right there. And you are going to get in his boat. And you're going to get to the other side. Peter wrote a couple books of the Bible. Man, I was thinking, what, what is Peter going to say? It's going to be some outlandish, prideful stuff. No, it's the exact opposite. His relationship with Jesus had changed the man. He's no more some outrageous he-man, prideful this. He, it, those pages are dripping with humility. He talks about humility more than anybody else in the Bible. A man that learned it firsthand from walking with his Savior. You don't think you're like, you don't like the person that you are now. You know the person that you are right now is not godly. Keep walking with him. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Keep walking. Keep stepping it out with him every step of the way. Pretty soon you'll be talking like him. You'll be acting like him. You'll be loving like him. And then there was Judas. Judas ate with Jesus too. Slept in the same camp. 
three years with you with Jesus. But Judas didn't respond to Jesus' bell so well. Judas had his own agenda. Judas, Judas just wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he wanted to use Jesus as like an add-on in his life. Maybe Je Jesus can be the avenue by which I get what I want. And that's where a lot of Christians are. They don't want the relationship, they just want the benefits. And so then when Jesus didn't come riding in on this horse that Judas thought he should and, and, and take over, he didn't understand that he must first come as a suffering Messiah. He didn't understand when he didn't get what he wanted. The only kiss Judas had for Jesus was treacherous. It's the only kiss. The relationship never bloomed there. Though it wasn't a gap on Jesus' part. I can just picture Jesus sitting there. You betray me with a kiss, Judas? Who remember, remembers Nathaniel? You probably, it sounds like a biblical name. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Well, early in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is just gathering up people like Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John. He's just getting the disciples together. Early in the first year of his ministry, Philip is one of the guys following Jesus. And he goes, tells his friend Nathaniel, come see the Christ. Jesus shows up, and Nathaniel's like, what's up, dude? You know, he's trying to test him out. And Jesus says, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And that struck a chord with Nathaniel. He's like, how do you know me? He said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. And then the most amazing thing happened. Just out of that small conversation with Jesus, Nathaniel said, I perceive that thou art the Christ, the King of Israel. He acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. Right then, that quick. I'm like, what? That was before Peter had said it. That was before anybody had said it to Jesus. He was the first one to publicly acknowledge Jesus in front of his face as the Lord. And I'm thinking, Nathaniel's going to be a big player in the Bible, man. He's going to go on to do great and mighty things for sure. He's got this much zeal right off the bat. But I look and I look, and I don't see Nathaniel no more. Finally, I see him way back in John 21 when the disciples are heading off thinking Jesus is dead and he's fishing with them. But other than that, I don't see him being a Mary Magdalene throughout Scripture, clinging to Jesus. And I think, is he one of those that Jesus talked about, that the seed was planted, but it was in shallow soil, that it sprung up immediately, excited, but then it had no root? And I'm wondering to myself, could it be the Nathaniels that hurt Jesus the worst? Even more than the Judases? I mean, you know what you get with a Judas, right? You know where you stand with Judas. But Nathaniel, I wish you were cold or hot. At least I know what I'm getting. At least you know what you are. But to be lukewarm? To know me? But then trample my blood underfoot like it's 
meaningless? To have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but say, okay, whatever. I got to get back to my job. Got to get back to my life. Maybe it's the Nathaniels that really upset Jesus. You know, Galatians 2.20 tells us how life is supposed to work. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. That old man I was before the relationship with Jesus, before I understood his love, it's gone. It's crucified. It's been put in a tomb. It's no longer I who live now, but it's Christ living in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I can't deny that he loved me and he gave his life for me. That turns everything in my life. That straightens out all my thinking. When I thought I was no good and unworthy, I see God died for me on the cross. I can't think that way anymore. I can't think that my life is just meaningless and that it's just about making enough money for retirement and living an average old life. I see things from an eternal perspective now. It's all changed. The old me doesn't control me. I have a new life, a new understanding. I do not treat, verse 21, the grace of God as meaningless. I don't want Jesus to ever have to ask me, have I been so long with you, Philip? I don't want him to say to me, that's your kiss, Judas? I don't want him to come to me and say, Nathaniel, what about us? I want Jesus to see my life as this big alabaster box that represents all that I am, everything that I have, everything that I, that I will be, all my aspirations. I put it all into this one box and I'm breaking it open for you, Jesus. I'm pouring it out on you. I'm going to be extravagant in my love for you. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket like we talked about some weeks ago. Because I trust you with my life. I trust you with my destination. I trust you. Therefore, I'm pouring it out, Lord. I'm pouring myself out constantly. Anointing your head with oil. I'm at your feet. I'm crying. Tears of joy. And just to be able to be at your feet like Mary. That a sinful woman or a sinful man like me can come walking in. Past the Pharisees. Past the teachers of religious law. Past all those who think they know everything, but know nothing at all. Past all of them. Fall to my knees. And weep at your feet. And know that you will in no wise cast me out. 
You will not disparage me. You will not make me look bad. In fact, you will tell everybody, look what this woman has done. What she has done will be remembered forever. Forever. That's what I want my life to be. I am not satisfied just knowing about Jesus. I've got to know Him. The power of His resurrection in my life. The fellowship of His sufferings. If by any means I might attain and give Him glory with my life. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Many of you in here today are, are leaping on the inside just talking about that special place under the shadow of the Almighty. Abiding with Him in that secret place. Many of you are just thinking, oh, I know about that abundant life. Not just life, but as Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And He said, I am the life. I am everlasting life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You've set a fire deep down in my soul that I can't control Jesus. Seven times in the Bible, Jesus says, I am. In the Gospels. Like I just said, he's, he said, I am. When Moses asked, what do, I, what do I say your name is, Lord? He said, tell him, I am that I am. And what do you need from God? He says, I am. But I need this and this. He, I am. But I can get it over here. No, I am. You can't get it over there. That's a counterfeit. I am. I am the way you need to roll. I am the truth that you need to hold. And I am the life that fills your soul. That's the first of seven. The second one is, I am the light that you need to see. I am the resurrection that you need to be. I am the bread that you must eat. The fifth I am is, I am the vine to cling to. The sixth is, I am the door to walk to. And seventh, he said, I am the good shepherd that I gave my life for you. John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And why do they follow me? Because they know me. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't know about you. But the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths. Righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For he is with me, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. I know he's preparing a table before me in the presence of all these enemies. He's anointing my head with oil. My cup is running over, it's spilling out on everybody. Surely, because of all this, goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's not that God is goodness and mercy chasing me. No, 
Because everywhere I've been, goodness has been. Everywhere I've been, mercy has been. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm walking like Jesus walked. I'm a different man. And I know I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've got eternal security. I got on a helmet called salvation, and my brain knows I don't have to be scatterbrained. I don't have to be fearful. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. He is the victory, He is the salvation. It's not a scripture. It's a living person. He is the Word of God. His name is Jesus. The name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess to the glory of God. And I'm just here today. Ringing that bell. And when I got tired of ringing that bell, I'm going to call on some of these youth to come help me ring that bell. And if they get tired, you step in and you keep ringing that bell. And you go to work tomorrow and you begin to ring that bell. And you begin to believe for revival. You're a living little Jesus. He's on the inside of you. The works that He did, greater works than these shall you do. Well, that was a good sermon, Pastor. Boy, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to think on that one. You preach it a couple more weeks like that, I may, I may think about changing. What has the preaching got to do with it? What is your heart telling you? You know it's true. You know it's true. He loves you and there's nothing you can do to make it any more intense and there's nothing you can do to take it away. He's going to love you when you don't love yourself. He's going to believe in you when you don't have a clue. He sees the end game. If you will submit unto Him, He sees you the way you're going to be. If you'll stay with Him, you'll, you'll get up on the potter's wheel and say, Here I am, Lord. Use my life. Mold me. Shape me. Do what you want to do. And let Him get His hands into your life. Pretty soon you'll look back and say, Wow, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He changed my mind. He saved me just in time. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.